Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. trying to find a needle in a haystack. But when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, their matching technology finds these qualified candidates uh, for you and invites them to apply. So while other companies give you too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash badchristian. Today's show is also sponsored by Stamps.com. Stop wasting time at the office. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter our code badchristian for a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. That's stamps.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Today's show is sponsored by Marriage Supply. Marriage Supply is a company that is run by Matt and I, and it sells adult toys and products for, I'm going to just say married couples, <laughs> if you didn't notice that in the title. Uh, and this, I think this company is kind of based on a lot of people kind of deconstructing their faith and experiencing sex in a different way, coming out of that purity culture. There's a lot to experience in this world, and if you have a good partner and uh, want to spice up your love life, go to marriagesupply.com right now. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing very good. I'm become in I'm in a particularly intense mood at the moment because uh first of all, we're do, we're I'm in the mode of do, the production of this album that we're making, Rub Some yes, Dirt on it. It's our brand new album. It. I don't know if we revealed the title, but I just did. Yeah. Do we ever say the title of it? I don't know if we have. It's Rub Go Some ahead, Dirt man. on it. Rub yeah. Some Dirt on it is the name of it. And it's quite the um, event. So the the production of that event has really kicked off. We're in the production mode now, and the thing's going to be done in less than two weeks from now. And uh, it's going to be done as an event that we're capturing uh, you know, live. It won't be broadcast live. It's going to be captured as a real-time event. Yeah. So the reality of that has set in to me, and it's been very intense. Um, so my headspace is quite there. And then also I just... I mean, seconds before I got on with you was involved in what can be some of the most intense moments of my life. And it was, I was on with the Bank of America. Um, and of course, you know, 
to a, to the point of failure, which is very, very common when I talk to the bank. So I just freshly got off a big, frustrating failure oh, with the bank, I did, it um, which work. makes me the most, in, you know, it's, I, I've been in fights oh. so many times with bankers and financial people. I know it's a real flaw, fault of mine, but I stayed calm this time. So I'm well, barely, amazing. barely under control right now because I, I, I mean... But I still no resolution. Get, you didn't no, get anywhere? No, no. The answer is no to me from them about whatever it is. A- any This question, time, locked yeah. out of our account, can't get our new business manager in, can't get him to do the account. I can't tell them enough information about myself to let, get them to believe that I'm me, and I'm the only one they can talk to. And so right. now the next thing I'm going to have to do is go, go to Bank of America with two forms of ID and my two-year-old because my wife is out of town and then I don't even leave and then I leave uh, to travel out to play the show with Taking Back Sunday on Thursday and so I'm at I've got two kids and they're telling me I can't even get into my to pay the bills to pay anybody else. now here I go now right. I'm getting all ramped up yeah, to pay hyped. the bills to pay we have invoices out we have all this stuff we can't get any can't get into my own account to pay bills anything and i gotta fly out then maybe until a week and a half from now unless i take my get up maybe i can't get an appointment they said make an appointment to go down there and show my id oh lord and i'm gonna take a two-year-old with me at least and i don't have that's not what i have time to do this with i I (laughs) I gotta learn the songs right i gotta learn the songs i gotta we have to have a lighting director for the thing we have to have the crew and so I would, you know, at that point when I, I'm not Ugh. able to give them enough information about myself to prove that I'm me, oh, you know, so thank you for letting me rant about that and to relieve that pressure from my internal state of frenzy. That's one of the reasons I'm excited to have Oliver Berkman on here in a little bit because talk about his new book uh, about time management and how <laughs> all time management has been horrific forever and what everybody thinks, you know, that'll be fun. But that sounds exhausting. I hate that stuff when you can't get anywhere. And then mm. and now the stakes are a little bit higher because you're right because you not only you have to be a dad, you ha- also you're doing this for your business. Yeah, oh, and yeah you have I to. I mean, the money is is important. It, it'll it'll work out. But to get to the time where it is worked out feels like just awful. That's what we were saying. I mean, I, right now I am very, you know, I'm nervous about my singing and my performance and my bass playing and all the stuff that's going to happen in less than two weeks mm-hmm. for our brand new record. No one's ever heard the record before. The first time you hear it is the first time we ever played it together officially. Like, as, you know what I mean? It's not like, hey, we just wrote a new record. We're going to play one song from it at this show, at this club in Orlando or something. You know, no, this is. We are going to play our entire record right now for you. And if I had the opportunity, I would wish my life away right now to be done with it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, mean. yeah, I wish it was the Monday after. So, like, oh, I wish I just, I, I wish I could wish my life away to where I woke up. It's Monday morning. I'd already flown back home and everything's done. I mean, yeah. I, even though it's going to be really fun, there's going to be a lot of fun to be intense. had. And the pressure is going to be good to an extent. And yeah. I mean, and this is part of like making me human. Man, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I, I'm working stuff out. I can't believe my brain is processing all this information super quickly. But I would, if I had the opportunity, wish it away immediately. <laughs> I mean, yeah. immediately. It's way would, more than stage fright. You know what I mean? It's like oh, a, totally. It's like the it's a fr- everything fright put in together. Artistic, expressive, stage, right. social, you know, everything into one thing so it's really intense but i think of it like um it's an also extreme application of the i don't know if it's abraham lincoln or he said you know you spend the first four hours sharpening the axe if you get five right. hours to chop down a tree or something this is the extreme of that you you had to make a record it's all preparation and then there's right. just it takes an hour to make the record right <laughs> <laughs> 
It's just so cool. I mean, but it's very intense, but that's by design. The only way right. you could do something like that is to make it quite intense. But I yeah. feel myself very much on the – I'm trying to anticipate and onboard that because it's like – it does feel like you're getting ready for a fight or something, but that's oh, not know. really the right analogy, but it's a training for. So the mental state of focus to get there is part of what's fun about it. That's what we have the 69 challenges overlapping here. So we kind of stack that up because it's, you know, we're in the middle of that and it, you know, overlaps in that way to that, keep That is really interesting. Track. I mean, even staying on the topic of time, it is really interesting. Usually the most important things that are the most nerve-wracking or the most exhausting, or the most worrisome, when the actual event happens, it's a very short amount of time. You yeah. think, uh, how much planning goes into your wedding? And then it, it happens, you know, it's less minutes, than, yeah. it's like, yeah, 20 <laughs> minutes, you're out of there, or something like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, all this, I mean, all these things that you have to plan yeah. for, and do, and I mean, uh, you're right, like a fight, you might, you know, walk in the ring, and it's over, and you know, just a very short amount of time, even if you get knocked out, or, or win, whatever. It's crazy that all the time it takes to get to that thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that'd be neat to talk to about the topic today of time management and those other things because it's for, for us, it's only stuff that's this intense, that's also this fun that can get me to do the planning right. or the preparation. Because I've been a slacker my whole life. I'm a loser, a procrastinator. I'm lazy. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. Right. That's me. That Or you know what I mean? But if it's, if you can create enough, all those anxieties to stack them up good, I'll do it. I know. I'm going to do oh, it. Yeah. I'm going to be right. ready. We're going to do it, you know. So The funniest just, anxiety I hear, every time people say, what is the most, uh, th- what is the thing that would cause you the most anxiety? It, every single time I've ever seen a, a poll taken or anything, it's always public speaking, yeah. right? But that's another one where you prepare, you do all this stuff, and then you, you, out, your TED Talk's what? 15, 20 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you, yeah. You know what I mean? You're done. Uh, but, I mean, everybody's petrified yeah. of it. But the thing that it is is so short. If you just could say, "Oh wait, no matter what I did, it's only twenty minutes." So even if you did terrible, even mm-hmm. if it was the worst, you know, talk speech, anything you've ever done in your life, <laughs> that's only twenty minutes as opposed to oh, months no. of worry and anxiety. No, no and fear you're and wrong, wrong, you, wrong, wrong that about that because the, because the the YouTube video entitled "Worst TED Talk Ever" would plague you for the rest of your life. Oh no, <laughs> uh, maybe, but I mean, but that's what I'm saying. You'd be more remembered. Yeah, I know, you but you know what I mean. It's, it would even be... if it's infamous, I mean, you'd have more notoriety if yeah. you had the worst <laughs> TED Talk ever. I, I'm yeah. saying, and, and all the anxieties and worries and fears you have about all this stuff, it, it all comes down to moments of your life. Yes. And those moments. But it, but I think you, I, you it's all uh, shaded by how much you put into your worries and your fears or your excitement, your joys, all that stuff. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is. Like my vacation every single day said it was going to rain. And I was like, God, oh, and I was thinking about it. And I was like, man, we spent all this money. We got to drive this far. We're going to get there and what sit in our, in the condo while it pours rain. When I, I was, I had even told myself, well, the ocean's wet. So we're going out there. That's the right way to look at it. You know what I mean? I was like, no matter what or whatever. And then once I got there, there's, it rained for like maybe 30 minutes, one morning early. And that was it. So the whole time, all the stuff I thought, you know, going into it, is instead of thinking about, oh, joy, being with my family, not working, taking time, all that was came way second to, please don't rain, please don't ruin it, let me, you know, let the drive not be, t- yeah. I, I immediately go to the negative stuff first. And that negative stuff, though, like you said, somehow makes it, you go for it or something, some, somehow too, I don't know. Well, right. there's stuff, no, well, there's a bad, if you, you can't control the rain. So to worry about it is no good, but you could, you can practice bass, <laughs> you know, so sure. that's good. That's what it's for. That's what the, ner- you know, you're nervous. So you do, if you had to do a TED talk, you'd 
you'd get to work. Oh yeah. You would like you don't want to sound like an idiot. If you no, I know. if you were going to be yes. in a movie uh, uh you know 9 months from now, you got cast in a movie. It's a you, beach movie. Yeah, and you have to have abs. <laughs> you, I mean, you don't nobody tells you anything about what you got to do, but you right. you will do something. Like you will right. never you would you would take action across the next 9 months. You couldn't not you could not yeah. not take action across the next nine months if it was announced you were cast in, you know. So that'd be, pr- you know, productive a- action you'd take. If you can practice for the, sp- the recording, you can, that's good. But to worry yeah. about the, if it's going to rain or not, not well, good. Well, for me, my, my my brain immediately goes, of course, Toby picked the one weekend in Hilton Head that it wouldn't be sunny. <laughs> but and that's and, not yeah, good. You know, yeah. I, mean, I know it's not good, but I mean, I can't. I can't separate myself from that. Yeah. I just think, oh, it's another dumb Toby mistake. Right. All I had to do was say, what about the next weekend? Or, you know, when I gamble, I lose or something like that. Like, it's just, you know, come on. I, I, I just can't escape from that. But I do think you're right. There is something. I mean, I even think maybe that's the meaning of life that, you know, something kind of scares you or, or concerns you and you do something about it. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And then you either move forward or you don't. That's the meaning of life? Well, I've just been really thinking about the meaning of life, especially like with guests that we're getting ready to have. Like, I, I think meaning the meaning of life can't be uh, connection with each other and helping the world, <laughs> saving the world. All that stuff seems really cliche. The older I get, of course, you everybody wants to. It'd be it'd be great if there was no poverty. Everybody was taking care. Of, I agree, and if we can help improve that, I think we should. I think that is a worthwhile pursuit. But I, but is that the meaning of life? That seems like the thing you do, you know, maybe with your life. But this the is stewardship of, of life is what is that? May, what that maybe is, so. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Like maybe you, that's gratitude towards you got. A, yeah, you, but you that got does, life, but that's so. not meaning. You're right. That's no, not cause, meaning. Because like I mean, there's there's tons of joy for people in poverty like a lot of times i hate it when uh, a lot of white people just want to uh you know make more minorities like them and they, mm-hmm. they don't want to fix the pro- you know it's just like uh, it's like that white comfort thing or oh there's poverty in the inner cities we got to make them like us or something i don't know when white when i hear white people going to other countries trying to save people it's not to preserve the culture or yeah. accentuate some of the the good. It's like change them so they can live live in suburbs like us or something like. That. I don't I don't like that. That doesn't feel like meaning to me. And I do think there's something about moving and experiencing and like we were talking about Bill Murray talking about wanting to be present and figuring out okay this is what I have to do in my life and I'm I'm doing this and I'm either moving forward or I'm not. It's that balance of what are you going to do and how how will it go, but. I mean, when we're talking about determinism here in a minute, though, maybe wait. None but of it did matters. you skip? I still didn't get what was a pinpoint on p- possible meaning of life is what to to move. What did you no, say? No, I was saying that. Uh, so there is. I was just thinking about cavemen or whatever, uh-huh. and they did. I don't. Maybe on some level they could have understood what you're talking about. They don't. They weren't thinking about the meaning of life. How do you that, know they did art? That's nope. one thing we said we know about the caveman. Okay. He was uh, making art. It, yes, but what was, the art served a purpose, right? To uh, show what was happening. You know, they they killed a, a bison or something like that, or whatever. You know, whatever it might be. I'm saying the caveman is somehow alive. He doesn't know how he's alive. He doesn't really know who he is in the universe. He doesn't know there's a universe. His world is so small, and he's in a cave and it's freezing cold. Uh huh. And what meaning go uh, to him is what man 
what could I do to improve this? What what could I do to move forward? What what can mm-hmm. I do to because the only thing I have on this place that I'm on, we know it is Earth now, is this life. So I yeah. guess I better keep that alive. I mean, because that, that's the only thing I actually have. The only thing I even can connect to really and know is real, I think, is me. So <laughs> uh, I better figure out how to make a fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And now you, you do more and you just, and, you, and we, we got to eat and we got to do those things. And we just, you, the meaning of life is to stay to alive. To struggle. To struggle, now, you well, say. There, no, well, it's not. It's just there is struggle. But so the struggle isn't bad. Right. Not, that's what I'm saying. Have, but it's that, like that meaning is the, afraid, the, the, the struggle. When I watch Naked and Afraid, they all, they uh, so many times fall to pieces. I would because they hadn't eaten in seven days and they're sleeping terrible. And there's mosquitoes everywhere. They're naked, all this stuff. And I go, they feel that way so much worse because they know what it's like to be on a nice king size bed with air conditioning and the TV playing Naked and Afraid mm-hmm. and you watching it. You know how all that stuff is. But, so so, now, but, but those are the people that don't have meaning that are laying on the air-conditioned beds right now. They're the ones that are, do not have meaning, but those who struggle seem to have we're, meaning. We're in a meaning crisis. I think that's where that's a lot I mean. of the mental health issues are coming from. But the, the caveman may have a lot more. It's meaningless. You don't have to survive. You will. I mean, people, oh, you know there's people that have to struggle. I get it. I understand people struggle, and I understand. But it, you have to acknowledge that. Everybody, even the people, the poor people in America are probably richer than most people that ever existed. Different type of struggle. Time. You know what I mean? But yes, yeah, so, and our struggle is real. And we experience those people naked and afraid. It is real. They're going through a really rough time. And their experience even, I think, inhibits them even more as opposed to if they had never had the condo with the nice bed and all that stuff. And they were just naked and afraid out there. Then when they would even be happier. They, they are always happy when they catch food or something. Mm-hmm. But in the back of their minds, they know, well, this is just something. Mm-hmm. It's a game. Yeah. But if it was real, then it would be really real when you got the berries. That and would you, be something. The fire else. didn't go out, and you yeah. sat through a monsoon and lived. I mean, if you everything found the would animal. have every bit of meaning you ever wanted in your life. When people say, "What is my life? Well, I don't have what I want. I'm I'm not filled with joy or anything." Take off all your clothes and walk away from everything that is meaningless, and you will have meaning. <laughs> you know what? You don't want that. You got it. You got like you that. don't want it. I don't want it. But I promise you, if you took off all your clothes and went into the the jungle, <laughs> you would have more meaning than you ever no had in possible in your life because it would mean something. Every day would mean something. Everything you did, made, built with your two hands, it would mean everything because the only thing you have is your life. You can't take what are you, you going to take with you? You can't even take your life with you, but maybe you can. You know, this the, the, we don't know what happens after you die. No one knows for sure. There's a lot of theories out there, but maybe you get some form of a soul or something, some connection to self. But I mean, you ain't taking your your TV with you or your Rolls Royce or whatever. I mean, <laughs> your not. Rolls Royce, yeah, you know how those people are. Yeah, you know how the Rolls Royce are. That's yeah, the all y'all got. Ro- it's a lot of y'all out there. I know you drive Rolls Royces. My well, dad you can't take it with say you. That word. My dad can only say Rolls Royce. He cannot say Rolls Royce. He can't say it. Oliver Berkman's here. Toby, I like that. Uh, I liked your rant. I have one about the bank. You have the meaning of life in one episode. Just, <laughs> it's the same thing. It's, it's good stuff. All right, let's let's go into another uh, philosophical zone. All right, I'm ready for it. 
Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about ZipRecruiter, which has sponsored this podcast for a very long time. We're very appreciative. A great company. And if you're a business owner who's hiring, you probably face a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role. Seriously, there's not enough applicants oftentimes uh, with the right skills or experience, or there's too many resumes to sort through, and you got to hire someone ASAP. That's why hiring can be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope to find the right person and that they come along. That's why you should try ZipRecruiter.com for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash bad Christian. Seriously, uh, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right skills experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder why over 2.3 million business owners have come to use ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. So uh, while other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds you exactly what you're looking for the needle in the haystack and right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web web address ZipRecruiter.com slash bad Christian once again remember to go to this unique place ZipRecruiter.com slash B-A-D-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N that's ZipRecruiter.com slash bad Christian ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire all right, I've said it about a million times, but I use stamps.com every day. <laughs> I do a lot of shipping with marriage supply. We do a ton of shipping with all our Emory merchandise and Bad Christian merchandise, and stamps.com is just so great. Are you still going to the post office, still paying full price for postage? Well, thanks to stamps.com, you don't have to anymore. Mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay less, a lot less, with discounted rates from usps ups and more stamps.com saves businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every year seriously with stamps.com you get discounts of up to 40 percent off post office rates and up to 66 percent off ups shipping rates not to mention stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters i've used those trust me no good stamps.com is a no-brainer saving you time and money it's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use stamps.com Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com. <laughs> go to stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code, uh, and it is mine, not Matt's, Bad Christian, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale and no long-term commitments or contracts. So just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type Bad Christian. That's stamps.com, promo Bad Christian. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. I'm a big fan of that TV show, Naked and Afraid. Have you ever seen that? I know about it. <laughs> I've seen it. It was basically people get naked and go out into the jungle and try to survive for like 21 days. And, right. I, and we were just talking about the meaning of life. And I said that the meaning of life is, is to me, I've been really thinking about it. And that's why one of the reasons I thought maybe we'll talk about it here as well. Because it just, it can't be anything that is happening right now. I, it just, it, it feel like we're in a meaning crisis. So to me, I have to start with just staying alive. Like the only <laughs> thing I think somebody's connected to is maybe their life. Like that's the only thing you might, I mean, there's a lot of theories about after you die, if you keep going, maybe you're still connected. Maybe you could take some form of your life into an afterlife. But uh, the only thing you really have is your life. So that's the only thing that maybe could really provide you meaning. If you, if you were just hated your life and you couldn't find joy or meaning or anything. I, I feel like if you took off all your clothes and walked into the jungle, every day would matter. 
immediately. Right, right. You know what I mean? Every yeah. day would mean something. It would mean something to you. And so I just I, like I always I know it's so hard to change your circumstances. Those people know what it's like to have a really nice uh, apartment with a nice bed and air conditioner in the back and, you know, all that stuff. And you said you called it a self-indulgence. It, it's not really a self-indulgence. It's just normal life now. Uh, air conditioner is a normal life. Oh, you know, I'll turn it on. But when you, if you lost all that stuff or never knew you had it, like a caveman never knew he had it, then man, getting that fire going, doing this, you know, shelter, living through a monsoon, all that stuff, it would just be, your life would have meaning, right? I think, you know, there's only two ways to get life back down to the essentials like that. And one is when a crisis happens to you, which you can't really choose and you wouldn't choose. And then the other is like, yeah, reality TV. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to, if they're going to, if you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're deliberately going to be uh, taking everything taken away from you, I can imagine it would be uh, extremely clarifying. Yeah. Oh yeah. One hundred percent. Well, Oliver, I just wanted to say, first of all, uh, I was introduced to you not that long ago and I love your writing. I love your writing. And I hope you take this as a compliment because I, I consider myself a decently funny person or whatever. Maybe everybody says that, but your, some of your writing just really, makes me laugh out loud like it just it's just deliberate and just so clear and it's not that you're being you're it's not even you're trying to be like uh maybe you are trying to be really funny or whatever but the i mean the information that you're giving it feels so great to consume and then i catch myself i just love the way you write i really am a fan of your writing so uh we thank you for your time for being here today for sure that's really kind of you to say i i appreciate it i i i mean i think some of this stuff uh, you know, the meaning of life, the shortness of human life, it, you sort of have to laugh, right? Otherwise, um, otherwise, what would you do? Uh, and um, I think it often gets treated very, very seriously. I don't think I'm a particularly hilarious person, but I think that um, people are expecting it to be pretty gloomy. <laughs> so right. if, you're, if you're funny at all, that's great. Yeah. I would be terrible at a comedy club because there would be, you know, uh, only one laugh every few minutes, but that's actually pretty good going when you're writing about... Uh, mortality i reckon well it's fertile territory to be able to cut jokes about that stuff it's just it's it helps i mean because you say what else is there other if you can't do that but there are other strategies that you know people employ um to deal with dark things other than jokes you know and but we think of it as a healthy thing to do to use humor and stuff and that's really what is central um, to our show, Bad Christian has kind of been this exploration for us of walking straight into the taboos and asking questions and doing stuff. It's just led to have you know a whole deconstruction journey, and now we think of it more as a reconstruction project in a way. But um, it's we've always and I've always had this situation. Almost half the stuff that I talk about and get into is just stuff that seems. Like uh, it's these taboos that you just can't yeah. question, and mm-hmm. and I accidentally step into them all the time, and then you just get these really really strong reactions if you know if you question certain things, and yeah. I never see it coming, and then it's all I'm then I you know whatever that feeling is, mm-hmm. um, to to deal with those things head on is uh it requires somebody uh, I think you talk about this in, in your article about thinking about determinism and stuff it requires a person of a certain stability to take the journey to entertain and hold loosely enough re- reality to think of those harder things even mortality is hard to do so it's only certain right. people that can do it yeah and you know i think you know often when you have that people have that reaction you're running into something that they're trying really hard to to not feel or not think about because they think it would be sort of 
it would be intolerable for them to have to sort of entertain those thoughts or those feelings. And I think we kind of all have that. I'm sure I have some. I'm sure you could cross some taboo that would like trigger me. Yeah. But but um, but yeah, I think with this sort of stuff about about just like mortality and the, the free will and determinism stuff, which we can totally talk about if you want. I mean, uh, there is a kind of person who who really needs due to the circumstances of their upbringing usually, right? It really needs to not go there. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you talk about that in your Guardian article where like <laughs> some of the professors and, and people, they were, they were getting horrible uh, emails and would say, you know, if you're a certain type of m- mentality, you know, if you're, you're prone to overthink it or, you know, let this get you the best of you, don't, right. you know, don't. Yeah, maybe don't read the rest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're talking about free will and determinism. And for, for us, I mean, or for me, or just, you know, that's one I've, if you really question free will, everybody will punch you in the face. I mean, they just can't help it. They will lose their mind if you so much as suggest you think about it, what it might mean. Yet, I don't know anybody can explain it in any good way. So it's like always been a very weird one. But it's to me, it seems kind of fun to be able to entertain that that type of thought. Um, but I have to be honest, I'm suspicious that there's free will. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I find that it's suspicious, you know, like, a, you know, I know it seems like there is, but just to bring it up, and I'm basing that only on people's reactions to it. Like, I, I can't explain consciousness or any of that stuff, but the way people react to it makes me suspect it really might not be real just on those grounds alone. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that always amazes me in these debates is like how much power just ideas have, right. I, to, to, to get people upset, to kind of rewire people's view of reality. I think there's something quite liberating about the idea that there might not be free will as well as something terrifying. It sort of depends. I don't know what mood I'm in, how much coffee I've had, but, um, the, you know, you sort of forget, I think, or at least I do. Um, it might be different with people who are sort of in contexts that are more saturated by religion where ideas obviously have power. But like, I'm always a bit taken aback that just like some words you write in a newspaper or a philosophy paper or something could have that kind of mm-hmm. force, you know? Well, let's, yeah. let's get into it here, though. Like, so determinism. So, I, I mean, I wasn't even really that familiar. Somebody in our, uh, our Bad Christian Club was like, man, can you please get on somebody to talk about determinism? And I was like, yeah, well, I'll, maybe I should even refresh my memory on what that means. But basically, we're talking about when y'all are saying no free will, determinism means, it, I mean, in a nutshell, is it that the universe just is going to do whatever that it's going to do and you you have no say is that i mean explain it yeah to I, think, I mean i think so the very simple illustration that i used in the piece that um that i wrote about this is like you're hungry so you go into your kitchen and you decide to have a piece of fruit and there's an apple and a banana in the fruit bowl and you decide to take the banana not the apple right it's just so obvious to everyone pretty much everyone that that's an example of a completely ordinary, boring, free choice. You could have chosen the apple. Nothing was stopping you. Except that, you know, if you take it as a sort of starting point that um, everything that happens has a cause and that cause has a cause and it goes back and back and back, then, you know, your everything that happened in your brain at that moment uh, the neurons firing that led to you deciding the banana over the apple or, you know, deciding you could have equally decided to do neither and go and buy a bag of chips or something, right? That 
everything that led to that decision had a cause and, and that had a cause and that had a cause going all the way back to like the beginning of time, the beginning of the universe. Um, and to, for it to be a really truly free choice in the way that we all sort of just assume it is would require you on this, on this argument to like be able to like step outside of reality, right? You'd have to sort of step outside of the whole network of causes that, that just constitutes reality and make some kind of free choice, like a kind of ghost outside of, of reality. And it, nobody, I mean, few people believe that kind of free will. So you get this clash, right, of intuitions. On the one hand, it's so obvious that I get to choose whether to have one cup of coffee or two in the morning. On the other hand, as soon as I start reasoning it, like it can't be the case that I was free to choose because, you know, I am the sum of my experiences, my upbringing, my genes, uh, all the forces at play in the in the environment that I'm in. And it's just like, yeah, so it's sort of yeah. totally screws so, your head. Yeah, because, when, yeah, so it's obviously we feel like, I'm sorry. It's obviously yeah. we feel like we have choice. Like that, there's no, nobody doubts that. Um, but, you know, where does it, where is it? When does it come in? I mean, that's, it's, it's not so easy if you think about it. Yeah. Where does that choice come in? How do you choose right. an apple over a banana and why? And do you, you don't know why, even if you right. do. Right. And in fact, you don't know some, why. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. And in fact, Sam Harris, who's one of the people who's written, you know, uh, about this stuff and a few others, he, he, gets people worked up because of the way he does it. But he does make, a, I think, a point that's really worth dwelling on, which is like, if you really kind of turn your attention inwards and think about it, it and you're hinting at this, I think, right? It's not even clear that you do experience free will, right? You just sort of, it, yes. it just sort of floats up, right? Like the, the, the instruction to yourself to go and make the coffee or make the tea, choose the banana, choose the apple, just kind of, comes out of the darkness it doesn't um it's it's not like you're sitting in the driver's seat or in the you know uh on the throne of your mind and you just sort of like make the decision it just sort of pops up and I, but you explain yeah. to yourself that is that's part that's probably how the illusion works is that you explain to your, you know you know when you see it bust a kid for doing something and ask them why they did it they're making it up you know and they're you know seem able to believe the explanation they're making up when they're making it up that's right. kind of how we're always right. making up what we're doing so it's for retrospective. Yes. Yeah, yeah 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 so it absolutely. feels like we made the choice because uh because I, uh, I like apples you see it was shiny that's right <laughs> shiny. yeah yeah no absolutely. that's why i chose it now it's worth it's worth just stressing that there are you know there are as i say in the piece you know there are major uh other opinions on this thing there there are the the, the majority of philosophers working on free will now think that we do have free will but they think that that is compatible with everything that happened being determined all the way back to the beginning of the universe, which is a really, that's called compatibilism. That's, it's a very strange idea. We could talk about it more if you want. Um, then there's all this stuff about quantum physics and whether actually things are not predictable but random and what how that affects things. And then, you know, there's a long traditions of religious thought on this stuff, which kind of, you know, the... the 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 critical argument against that would be that like religion needs free will so it kind of brings it into being because otherwise nothing makes sense but there is a sort of totally reputable theological position that like we have it it's just that um you know the physical universe is not all there is so choice free choice comes from somewhere other than 
all the atoms banging into each other. I think there's a view in where we come from out of evangelicalism and even Calvinism, where a lot of times in the, has that special religious significance, free will does, and it's necessary for to be, you know, biblical and stuff. And I think an interpretation that people often say there is basically the elect have free will, but uh, yeah. or something like that, right? It's the it's only God's elect that actually have the free will once they come to know God. Like once you have the connection to God, then that is freedom in itself. So non-Christians do not have free will, and elect Christians have free will. So it's even more narrow, specific in in that world. That gets really confusing because presumably being elect has something to do with being a good person, not being totally lost to sin. But does that mean that you're not able to sin if you're elect? And if so, do you have free will at all if you can't do Lots of the bad things. It's kind of, yeah, it's fascinating. I that, don't that view works out to, they say, does the clay not say to the potter, why did you make me for ordinary purpose or something kind of thing where they say, where it's like, it almost is that it, you're elect and it's deterministic. Right. It's even like all of that, you know, so it's like, <laughs> anyway, you look at it, it gets really yeah. weird from every, so right. basically we've covered a bunch of different points of views in the last 10 minutes and they yeah. all seem weird. Right, right. I think that's the, <laughs> and that's true about the explanation of consciousness that you mentioned before. Right? Whatever the truth is here, it's going to make some intuition that we have yeah. impossible. So it's going to be really, really weird, whatever the truth is. There isn't yeah. a non-weird possibility here. I just typed it in, and Calvin defines predestination as the eternal decree of God by which he determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. So I mean that is, I mean that's so he didn't choose the apple. How could you choose? You know, right? God then. predestined yeah. everybody, and so it's it's interesting. Like this uh, this philosophical idea is it really is an underpinning of all of our thoughts in a way. Like I mean, it's, it's, it's religion, it's philosophy. I mean, I know those are tied together, but it really is. Even with the the, the God you believe in, does he he saves you? And you can't, but it, but you do believe you have free will to choose that banana or whatever. It's, it's bizarre. You, it's a duality, it almost seems. I mean, the thing we haven't even really touched on yet is the thing that many people think is the most important implication of this whole debate, which is which is morality and especially criminal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right? It seems right. it seems to say if there's no free will, then there's something wrong about holding a murderer responsible for committing a murder because it was just all the forces of the cosmos that uh, that ended up in that act happening. That seems inevitable. That seems the inevitable direction. Like, like it, I mean, you can say like it or not. I like it, but I do think that is almost the inevitable direction. Of, I mean, the justice system's kind of doing that now in, in a way. Like, we, you know, we, we understand that we use the prisons to manage popul- certain populations and stuff like that you know it's not so much about anything else so it's but and we feel like that's wrong or we can get more people out of jail we're starting that's like it seems like our species is getting be- slightly better about that and that's kind of where the maybe the free will illusion needs to come from is that a- area of responsibility like to hold one responsible is kind of a primal human evolutionary thing like to blame to hold accountable like you know that's deep yeah. so we yeah. need a stories for that and we need people to take because it's a necessary evil to yeah, have I mean, to this is, right. do that this is the you get some philosophers uh, i quoted a couple of them in the piece who like um 
they think that there isn't free will, but they think that nobody should find that out. Right. Because, so, <laughs> because it will be so disastrous for uh, human society. And, you know, I, a problem you run into here is that a lot of the philosophers working on this and me, you know, uh, are all kind of, they're all kind of liberal in the sense of criminal justice, right? They all think that, like, the, the prison system should be much more humane than it is in most of America today. They all think that, like, if somebody commits a terrible crime, you should at least ask if there's some mental illness, if, what mm-hmm. their childhood upbringing right. was. But that's not quite the same as saying no response. That, that, I then sort yeah. of draw a line somewhere, because then I think about just, like, everyday things. Like, if I'm walking along the street and, like, some adult would come up to my son, my four-year-old son, and, like, punch him in the face or something deliberately. Like, there is no part of me that is able to say, okay, let's just think about all the different causal chains going back in your childhood. I'm just furious. And I think it might be right to have some kind of fury reaction in that context. It certainly seems totally unavoidable. Like, I don't think even if I wanted to, I could override that bit of my... Right, yeah, in my brain. But yeah, that you wouldn't have the free will to say no. Right? I think it that's a great example of non-free right. will. Like if somebody does something to your kid, you react. You do not have a choice. Right. So it, it's, it, it's almost easier with a serial killer because then you're yeah. like, okay, this person is so off the charts of what of human acceptability that, like, yeah, maybe if you had been born to their parents and you had their genes and you had had all the early childhood experiences that screwed them up so badly. Like it's hard to understand, hard to know that you wouldn't be that person. But um, with kind of lesser examples, you kind of think like, no, you should get a grip on yourself. You shouldn't. Um, yeah, you shouldn't do this stuff. Yeah. So but is the- there even is there? I mean, how do you? Uh, this might be a silly question, but how do you define then like growth or change? Like I, I, I mean, Matt and I have had this conversation before. We, you know, both kind of feel like by the time you're, you know, seven, eight years old, you are a lot. Or mostly who you are, but you do change. You know your your, your skin, you know epidermis or whatever changes. Yeah. Your cells change. All that stuff changes. But are you? Are you? Is that still just a product? It's not actually change. It's just still moving forward to whatever's going to happen. Well, I have to say, I don't think I am not fully on board with determinism and there being no free will. Like I'm really drawn to the argument, and I find it very difficult to put a hole in it. But I don't live my daily life. I don't know anyone who lives their daily life. Um, as if there really was no free will. Um, that just seems, it just seems impossible. And so, you know, also the project of change and the stuff I write about in the newsletter, you know, that, that, that stuff, I guess it would all be completely pointless. If um, it would be pointless to write the newsletter if there was no possibility of people changing, but also I would have no option but to write it because I would be, uh, <laughs> it would be predetermined that I was going to. So you just get into this total mess. I, I think that, um, I think the really interesting thing about chain, personal change, like you talk about there, it's almost this middle position, right? It, it's not that it's not that it's impossible. I don't think it, I think it clearly is possible, and I've, I've experienced it. But on the other hand, it isn't really. I don't think it's possible to sort of make a complete break with who you are because it's always it's always who you are now who is doing the changing that will make you into someone in the future. So. I don't think it's all like predetermined change is impossible, but like change is really conditioned by, by who we already are. And that makes it a very interesting and uh, sort of uh, hazardous uh, exercise. 
it seems like we there's got there's always a way that there even if you locked it down and said there was no free will that just means there's some other access to look at there's some other paradigm to look at it from though or something like maybe we're just experiencing a the universe is a long steady state and we have somehow experience of time or something but it's not nothing it's just we're just having the passive experience of it but that i mean that would include everything we do and everything we feel about what we do Right, including the feeling of not being passive and the feeling of making decisions. That's that's the the crazy part. I mean, I think it's worth talking a little bit about compatibilism just because it is what, like, most philosophers today believe to be the case. Um, And that is just that being a part of this huge cosmic web of processes and causes and effects is still a kind of freedom because they would, some of them anyway, would define freedom as just, you know, being capable of acting on your intentions and your desires in a way that brings them about, right? So, so you know, if I feel um, the desire for a cup of coffee and I go and get one and, I, and then, you know, something's happened there that is freer than if I... Um, um, in chains and I'm not allowed to get up from my seat to get a cup of coffee, right? That something has happened that is me acting on my, on my uh, intentions, on my desires. One philosopher I talked to gave the example, like, you know, if you really believe determinism, then you have to say that, like, if I decide to go into a store and, and buy uh, a tub of ice cream, I'm no more free doing that than if, than if somebody outside the store puts a gun to my head and says, if you don't go into the store and buy a tub of ice cream, I'm going to kill all your family. And it's just ridiculous if in the end to be asserting that those two situations are identical because like they're not. Uh, one of them is better than the other, even if it's not this kind of pure freedom. That, uh, well, one of them experiences at least an illusion of choice. <laughs> yeah. right, That's right. a big difference though. Uh, yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, I think they would say that, you know, something, you stand in a relationship to your desires in that situation that is kind of truer or better somehow than the one where you don't have any desire to go into the store, but someone's threatening to shoot you if you don't. I'm not sure I understand the compatibilism point, but it's it's uh, that you can affect outcomes with intention, that they, something, you said something like that, I'd like to know what compatibilism well, is. Well, I mean, it there. is difficult to understand and I have found it difficult to understand because it's not the work, a place that my intuitions go to. Um, my intuitions go towards determinism and and no, not and they're not being free will. But um, the, the argument is just that um, the idea that to demand of a definition of freedom that you have to be able to like step outside of the universe and, and have a totally free choice, that that's a kind of overly that's like too much it's an overly demanding definition of what it means to be free and that we all recognize that you know if an intention can occur to me and i can go and act on it then i'm freer than someone for whom the intention arises but they're locked in jail and the fact that that initial intention just emerged out of you know centuries and millennia of causes doesn't alter that fact right it's still it's still the case that 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 person is is doing something that it's meaningful to call 
free, mm -hmm. uh, even though they didn't. So they can do what they want, but they just can't choose what to want is one yeah. way of, of thinking yeah. about it. That makes um, sense. Now, I, I have difficulty with that because if it's still the case that, that I was always going to choose a cup of coffee over a cup of tea and that was decided somehow during the Big Bang or the creation of the universe, then I, that doesn't seem like freedom to me. <laughs> but, but there's probably some other axis where there, you can do something metacognitively that influences something or, or, or it's, like a, it's like being enlightened or something. You can ch choose what intentions to go with or maybe you have some kind of other sense like you know as we evolve to the next level there's some th way where you're the higher level is interfacing with the mechanical level of yourself i mean there could be something there that we just don't really understand that there is an influence that you that maybe explains the feeling of the well of like the two choice. atoms in different areas affecting each other or something like well that. i mean if you I let's mean, just say you had a something that was like a soul or something that was slightly beyond there was some other something that could that was yeah. influenced then that could be a, a place that could influence even if it's just a higher self even if it's even if it's something physical but another dimension of this reality or something there could be something you know that was just an unknown that could give some shed some light on on it yeah yeah i mean i think i think ideas like that of uh, there's a, there are people writing about you know is it somehow an emergent is it like an emergent quality free will so like all the atoms are determined but nonetheless it gives rise to something that is that is real and then there's a kind of temporal thing right mm -hmm. i mean Maybe who I am is completely determined, but but still, if me at time one can affect me at time two, then that seems like some in some way like me is having an effect on the on the universe. Um, I think there's a whole lot of different ways in which you could try to sort of uh, connect these together and, and not have to sort of fall into sheer existential yeah. despair the, the way i operate it is is um this isn't philosophical but it's more practical um but we we do a uh a whole thing that we do is called the 69 challenge where we do a, it's a self-development program where we form habits and exercise and do things and we say we do the whole thing to benefit your future self mm -hmm. so we do work now for our future self and that's the way i think of free will in any given moment i'm not going to know what i don't know how i'm gonna finish the sentence i don't know what i'm gonna do and whatever i'm gonna do is probably what i'm gonna do but it feels like now i can make choices that i feel myself making that will affect my future self yeah. And and in those moments when I get to be the future self, I'm just going to react like an animal. But right now, if I'm thinking yeah. about him, I can yeah. actually take action that can matter. But right. then whenever that moment comes, I I'm just whatever I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and as long as you have that feeling that you could take responsibility and act responsibly, then you still have, take to, responsibility. You still have right. to do it. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll yeah. be feeling like that you could act responsibly and nonetheless Yeah. Because in the moment, I don't take any responsibility. I mean, there's no way I, do, I don't take responsibility for myself moment to moment. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I never do. Right. Right. I never know what I'm doing. That's the way it feels but, like. <laughs> and I think it depends on who you are as well, right? Because some personalities are kind of like, maybe some people are constantly just on the verge of throwing in the towel and spending the next, like, six months on a drink and drugs bender and they need to be, they need the message that they should take responsibility. People like me, I don't know about you guys, you can tell me, but like people like me have the opposite problem, right? I mean, I'm kind of a bit neurotic. I'm a bit of a workaholic. I'm kind of, I'm far more likely to take sort of too much responsibility and feel bad if I don't get through a to-do list in the course of the day. And for people like that, the idea that it's ultimately not um, in my 
power is actually very liberating, you know, uh, to, to be able to think, look, I'm going to get as much done today as I was ever going to get done. That's kind of like a, that takes a pressure off my shoulders and then it lets me have an effective day without all this kind of extra nonsense about whether I'm being a good enough person. So, um, you know, for people that's who kind great. of pipe, it's a good, it's a good message. For yeah. And that puts us that, way into the territory of your book. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. I want to talk about you, but there's two, one, uh, I want to make one last point. One of the things too, just before we leave determinism is, uh, you talk about, I, I, I think it's probably his last name is Pierre Sim- Simone Laplace. Yep. He's a, a French polymath. Uh, and, uh, it's called La- Laplace. He created a thing called La- Laplace's, uh, demon. Yep. And his argument went as follows. If something hypothetical, ultra intelligent being, uh, an ultra intelligent being or a demon, could somehow know the position of every atom in the universe at a single point in time, along with all the laws that govern their interactions, it could predict the future in its entirety. And it's, it, that is fascinating to me because that demon, and maybe it's the appropriate word for it, is is AI, right? Like, I mean, or I mean, won't that just won't computers get there to where if they can figure out at some point there could be a computer that could know everything and then. Even if you don't know everything, what if you knew like, you know, 75%, 80%, 90%, you could make really killer predictions about what's going to happen about everything, right? And, and that's coming probably. No, it's an excellent point. I mean, there's a little caveat, which is Pierre-Simon Laplace didn't know about um, quantum physics. And right. the major interpretation of that, as I understand it, which is not very much, is that, you know, there are things that happen on a subatomic level that are truly random that nobody could ever have predicted even with the the most powerful uh hypothetical brain in the world but putting that aside yeah totally and i think it's already here in some sense right i mean there are there was a very famous story in the new york times magazine years ago now um about how some big box retailer i don't want to claim it was the one when it wasn't but like some big retailer had been able to understand from um a particular female customer's buying choices that she was pregnant prior to her having told her own yeah target but she right but she lived with her parents and they sent like all these mailing communications to the house or something right so like they knew and and you know it's only a short step in certain contexts you think about how you use like amazon or something right you get recommended right. stuff that you didn't know you 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 wanted right i mean you, you can extrapolate from that and that is not you know the technology is only going to get better yeah it's only going to get better extrapolate from that to um to an extraordinary amount of predictive knowledge about how people are going to behave sort of in the aggregate certainly um that'll certainly undermine some amount of free will right that alone it just you know like that it will be able to know what it will guide your behavior in a way that you will go, Oh, I didn't have so much free choice as I thought in my consumption habits. If you really look at it. Right. Again, yeah. It slightly depends on your position on free will. Cause if you're a real hardcore free will denialist, then it's just a different set of causes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really True. make any difference whether it's kind of the evil algorithm or your own thoughts. But yeah, if you're not, unless you're that kind of person in the debate, totally, it's like, Clearly, something is a bit less free if somehow somebody at a big tech firm's headquarters kind of decided that they were going to make me develop a certain interest or exactly purchasing yeah. pattern, and yeah. it wasn't me. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah. yeah, and it knows. All right, let, yeah, let's get to your book. I, I love the title. For- <laughs> 
Because <laughs> once again, that's what I'm saying. Like when I when I realized what the title meant, I just started laughing. I was like, "Oh, this is just so great." Because you'll, I think, what I think about your comedic brain. You said you you wouldn't be much of a comedian. I think you are great at the setup, and then you you flip like you'll say, uh, "Well, uh, that." Like our, uh, we've always been told that being efficient does this, and it'll help you, and all. And then you go, but it's the opposite. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, you 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 totally, I'm totally buy into. Oh yeah, you're saying all this stuff, so it's really good. But the name of the book is Four Thousand Weeks: Time Management for Mortals. And uh, yeah, so what what is the we're, you know we're talking about determinism and time and you know your choices and stuff like that. But now you're talking about managing your time. What got you into this idea and wanting to write this book? I mean, I'm sort of, I'm sort of my personal interests, you know, I'm sort of totally interested in the big questions, meaning of life, what, what are we doing here? But I'm also kind of really interested in just like really low level productivity techniques and like how do you structure your day for the best output and how do you set goals and all the rest of it? And I, so I think, you know. Um, you said you're a workaholic too, so you're, that's your right. proclivities are that way. Right? right, right. And this is this is a kind of merger of those interests, right? I'm trying to look at like time management, not as this kind of weird, nerdy thing that most people don't need to be interested in, but it is in some sense like the challenge of life because we only have, if you live to 80, you get about 4,000 weeks. And um, that's kind of a stark way of thinking about um, the the challenge uh, we are these finite we are these finite beings um setting aside questions we might want to discuss about from a religious perspective but like we are these finite beings and we have this incredibly little amount of time and we have to like think about how to use it but my argument in the book is that we're so sort of scared of confronting these limitations that actually a heck of a lot of what we do when it comes to productivity techniques or organizing our lives how we approach making big decisions all the rest of it a lot of that is really done uh, to try to sort of avoid having to confront our limitations. And so it goes wrong and makes things worse, makes life less meaningful, makes us feel busier, um, makes us more distracted, because the real agenda there is not to try to make the most of life. The real agenda there is like not to have to face up to finitude. And so my hope, you see, I mean, the you know, I know the title is kind of, it's either funny or shocking or scary, but I hope that the book as a whole provocative by the time people through it. Sorry, I said provocative is the word. Provocative, yeah, right. Well, you got to get people that got to get people it. interested. But I hope that that book as a whole, in the end, is kind of a relief that it's kind of um, it, that it's kind of about not not having time as an enemy anymore. Uh, once you see the the, the truth of, of how things are, it's actually much. It's freeing, enables you to focus on a few things that matter because you're no longer on this crazy treadmill of trying to get everything done. Um, so, yeah, I think it's all a case for embracing your your limitations and your finitude. Yeah, that's awesome. In the book, you that. say uh, 4,000 Weeks is yet another book about making the best use of time, but it is written in the belief that time management, as we know it, has failed miserably and that we need to stop pretending otherwise. You were just talking about that. Can you go a little bit more? Like what? Because there's so many time management books, and people do really want to – I mean, that's one of the biggest regrets everybody that I've ever heard on your deathbed. I wish I'd have spent my time more wisely or, you know, I mean, like it feels almost like you can't get away from it. You're just going to regret because you, and it makes you feel like you're so stupid. You were just such a dumb person to waste your time. Like looking at TikToks or, you know, you could have spent time with your kids and you didn't pay attention. You know, the, the, my child arrived just the other day, you know, all the, all that stuff. I mean, why has the time management failed so miserably? 
Well, I said that I think the underlying reason is that most of it is in the service of kind of stemming our anxiety about being finite rather than in the service of of helping us confront it. Not all of it, not every time management guru, not every productivity writer, but the, the majority. And I think, you know, um, so just to look at that idea of regret that you mentioned, there's an, inter- an interesting case, like some element of regret is kind of, it's, it's going to be baked into the situation, right? Because if you have a finite amount of time and you live in a world where there is a effectively infinite number of things you could do or like obligations that other people could put on you, demands that your boss could make, businesses you could launch, right? It can be positive or negative. It's not, um, you know, vacation destinations you could you could travel to. It doesn't matter whether it's positive or negative. There's, a, there's, an, there's far more than you're ever going to get to. And that means that any decision you make to do anything is by definition a decision to not do um, millions and millions of other things with that hour or that day or that, that year. Um, and, you know, if, if you don't, if you try to deny that, you're going to find yourself really mired in, in FOMO, right? And the fear of missing out. You're going to be constantly trying to like pack more and more things in and not really focusing on any of them. Um, online dating apps are really always the example people use because it's like it's in the interest of the online dating app to keep you kind of dissatisfied and thinking about all the other options uh, rather than focusing on uh, what the potential could be of the person you're actually supposed to be focusing on in that moment. Um, and if you sort of see the reality of the situation, I think a huge weight is lifted from your shoulders because you start to see that the, the, the real point about time management in work, in life, anything, is not um, how can I fit everything in, but how do I choose what to neglect given that I'm definitely going to be neglecting like almost everything? Because if you can make that choice consciously and strategically, then you can be like, okay, um, these things really matter to me. And these things kind of don't, and I'm willing to deal with the sacrifice of the things that that don't really matter um, for for the ones that do. On the other hand, if you just I'll just finish my train of thought, right? If you if you're um, if you're constantly trying to fit more in because you think you can get it all done, and you haven't sort of faced this truth about the, the finitude of time, then you're going to be drawn to all these kind of efficiency solutions, which involve trying to sort of structure your day to get through more and more and more or be able to process your email faster and faster and faster and there's a role for that in a limited way but basically you know it's this problem that i call in the book the efficiency trap if you're if you are finite and yet the inputs coming in are kind of effectively infinite then getting more and more efficient at processing them is just like getting faster and faster at climbing up an infinitely tall ladder right you're never going to get to the top it's still infinite. You're just going to feel rushed, more rushed. Um, so in a way, this book is a sort of, part of this book is a kind of salvo against that idea of um, uh, of efficiency and optimization as the key to this. The, the key to this is, is seeing that, you know, for a finite human being, almost nothing. There's time for almost nothing. So on that, <laughs> on that, that. basis, oh, now great. do some things that really, really, really count. I love how you say it. So yeah, that's that's I, was, I love that. It's a shocking way to put it right at the end of that whole answer you gave. It's just there's almost time to do nothing. <laughs> but that I like. I love that. That's um, it's it's uh, it's kind of getting at the point that the 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 Marie Kondo 
minimalist kind of thing is you know like uh i read her book about how to clean your house or something i didn't even do it but I, the philosophy i got out of it was good i felt good in my mind when i understood it it was uh you know you can thank your stuff and let it go like it's, it's a, there's almost a grief to it. it's the opposite of hoarding is to not have everything or do everything or get everything but to let it go kind of right a, a, i mean just thing. yeah totally and just understanding how like being a human living in time as we all are, whether we like it or not, is kind of, this is this just to make, this is sounds like a downer, but I think it's only, it, it turns into something that isn't, but like, you know, is just about loss, right? I mean, it's just every single decision you make is waving goodbye to a whole load more. Yeah. Um, if, you know, people who are parents will know that like, um, you know, every new exciting stage that your small kid enters into is like the moment when you know the previous stage is gone forever. Um, And you don't, you know, I've got a four-year-old kid and I'm already sort of, it's already bittersweet that Mm. he'll never be a newborn again. It's, it's crazy, right? Life is just moving forwards, um, choosing one path over all the others, turning off all the uh, things that happened before. But that's one of those problems that is kind of only a problem if you, think it's a problem you know it's like once you see that that's inescapable there's a zen teacher who i quote at the beginning of the book uh, charlotte beck who i who i who has this quote that i really love um which is i think she's really just talking about life in general which is what makes it unbearable is your mistaken belief that it can be cured um which is kind of like a great life philosophy it's like you know trying to get out of this situation that we are all in will drive you crazy but once you're not trying to get out of it like it's it's totally compatible with building a really full meaningful fulfilling happy life there's there's nothing wrong with it except that you think you might be able to become this kind of infinite godlike super optimized hyper efficient person who never has to make any tough yeah. decisions it's like once you see that ship has sailed life is kind of that's uh, a beautiful way to say it because that's um it's like heaven is a is a is a construct that people can use to and to not fix this life but to know that they they could be a god like so and so in another in the other life or the whatever story but even in the one where it's just pure productivity and efficiency is is that same thing it's like a it's a it's a heaven concept you know well you know i would love to hear your thoughts about this in a sort of in the context that you guys come up from because in a sort of a sort of caricatured reading of christian ideas about heaven would just be that like if you if you honestly think that after you die, you're going to live forever and then in some kind of semi-literal way, then you could argue that everything I'm saying here is kind of like moot, right? Because right. Why, do you, why do you care if you've only got 4,000 weeks here, if you've got an infinity right. of time right. the other side? Now, I think there would be real problems with living forever. I don't think, I think it would not be enjoyable, but that's a separate issue. I, I don't know how, I don't know how that connects to these to these ideas about finitude really i'm interested well i mean we see them more at, at that stage for us as a uh you know a type of belief that you have that you can mature beyond i mean and so some people don't like that way of thinking of that but i think of it as can you kind of graduate from this belief to that belief so you can kind of move through the the christian ethical frame which is, seems inextractable for for us you know from where we come from but you certainly don't have to even hold on to the heaven concept or anything like it now seems to me like a more childish concept mm-hmm. that people use to avoid this life 
and say when it'll be better as a distraction from mortality. But I'm more inclined to, I, I feel the way that you feel about the experience of time and mortality is more animating to me now. Kind of, a thing. Yeah, but I, I recognize. I mean, I I recognize how you move through those constructs. But I think what we typically do wrong is not let people out of them when they right. when their minds are ready, and so you stay in this mindset of looking for certainty in everything, which is then becomes a, the, your box. You know, my uh, nine year old this morning over my, my kids are. So I have an eleven year old, a nine year old, and an eight year old, and they are always asking philosophical questions that I can't answer. And I don't know where they're totally getting them from, maybe from me a little bit and stuff, but they'll just always. So my son today comes up and goes, Dad, uh, when you die, your soul, could it be renewed and you could be an animal? And I was just like, and I try to go with those questions because I don't want to shut it down because I think it's a great question. And I don't, I mean, it's a great question, you know, just like, because. Maybe, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I said, well, I don't really, I said, I don't think I really believe that. I don't know if you would be a grasshopper, you know, if you died and become a grasshopper, but I said, but you won't know until that happens. And I said, and that's why it, it opened up another good question or topic of, that's why I don't think we have to fear death. I said, if there's nothing, and we were talking about this, uh, Matt was here this past weekend. We were in a band, we played a show and we were just talking about it. And I started thinking about the idea of heaven or whatever, really the only real peace you could actually have is if there was nothing, if your ego was gone and you were gone, right. then you, that would be peace. Now, how would you experience that? I understand all that, but I think Matt was saying, and what you're saying, like at the beginning of your book, you're talking about how we view time and it's the ticks on the clock. And I was like, Oh man. Right. And, and, and it's separate from us. It's this thing that's attacking us. So, you know, we don't, we don't have anything in there. And I was thinking about how, and I've heard somebody say this before. This isn't my idea, but how we don't we only live in the present we can't live in the past and we we dream about the future but we can't ever live there you know what i mean it's right. just that that thing and that's what heaven is it's just this thing to like y'all said avoid the present which it you know wait there's 15 minutes left on the clock till i get off work oh those 15 minutes are horrible but if you were like wait in the whole scheme of things this 15 minutes could be important to me or valuable or it doesn't have to be that i hate it or it's exalted even if it is it's not that it's that bad i I get it you want to go have that beer at the bar with your friends or something but you can't live in that 15 minutes from now you're only right here right right i think that's yeah and the living in the future stuff is a whole other section that i write about in the book but it's like yeah i think you know i can i can envisage a sort of interpretation of heaven that is maybe you know closer to what i'm talking about here that just a sort of a way of representing like the infinite and, and, and sort of eternity, not in that kind of very literal sense of like time going on and on, but just sort of, there's a part of this whole notion about like embracing your, your finitude, I think implies something that you're not right. It implies that reality as a whole is not, finite and limited it's how we as individuals are going to get along in the world given that we are um so i think there's ways that you can rescue that the other thing that your um your kids question reminded me of that i think is really funny is that like when people think about reincarnation and that sort of could you be reborn as an animal they often you know that's something that people associate with buddhism the idea that um the idea that uh we just come back as other things but it's pretty clear from the buddhist writing that i've read that um that they you know traditional buddhists do or did believe that but the goal of traditional buddhism is to like is to stop coming back right, right? it's not it's not that you go on forever <laughs> yeah. and that's great it's that the 
great thing that the Buddha did when he achieved self-realization was he didn't have to go through all that crap anymore for the next millennia, you know? So there's something very funny always to me about that, that they're like, that, that that's, that's a, that's a tradition that sees the, the goal of all this to, uh, to, to not have to experience time anymore. Yeah, I, so, I, so does that make the Buddha the first one to beat this video game? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. He's the one that did it, right? First one. I mean, we rest of us got a long way to go. I, I love the <laughs> idea of a, a, you know, a longer life in theory, but I think you're right. Some of it seems like, would it really be fun? What is the thing? Who Who would I be? And what am I and and why? You know what I mean? Like it, it, there's a bit of self-importance there that uh, in Christianity that I've, I've, I've grown away from, I think, in that I don't think of myself as that important anymore. And that's okay. And maybe even good, like that, that I'm God's right. chosen or uh, we grew up very Southern evangelical, uh, you know, charismaniac, you know, uh, kind of and. And I used to, I was just told that I was super important to God and that my decisions mattered. And if I sinned, he would be wrathful. And if I did right, I would win glory. And now Mm. I go, wait a minute, maybe I'm not that important and that's okay. And maybe I can experience something. And hopefully, you know, I know we're talking about determinism, but maybe I can change and grow and do some things that actually are important and see the value of that. And, and me become less seems like more of what Jesus was talking about. Not uh, me become super important and my political leanings are important and all that. No, Jesus goes, you got to just get less and less of you and then you'll be, there'll be more, but it's just so hard to see that. I mean, it really is. I mean, yeah. When you, when you say all that stuff about like, you know, if you do right, you'll win glory. The thing that that makes me feel is like, that makes the stakes too high. Right. I mean, that's almost paralyzing and I'm sure it is paralyzing for some religious people. Right. It's like, it's like, Everything is riding yeah. on what you That's do. That's and nailing it, yeah. Right, right. There's a lot what of mental illness has resulted from it. Right, and I mean, it's like, I think in many ways what we, what I benefit from is like dialing that down and thinking, you know, I have other reasons for going through life thinking the stakes are incredibly high, not, not primarily, I think, due to my, not primarily due to religion. There was only a little bit of that in my upbringing. But, um, you know, often what you need is to dial that down and say, look, it doesn't matter that much if this thing I'm, this project I'm launching works out or not. And for that reason, it is easier to give it a go. And like, I don't know if this is the right person for me. And for that reason, it is less stressful to go on a date and find out, you know? And, right. and I think there's, there's really something to be said for like, um, uh, yeah. In the book at the end, I call it cosmic insignificance therapy, right? There's something, there's something kind of liberating about thinking like, okay, you don't actually matter all that much. And that means that you can choose to spend your life doing something good, important, joyful, helpful to others on a scale that is like within the human uh, remit instead of uh, constantly kind of beating yourself up because you shouldn't be changing the universe. Yeah. And then you you could still look at the the whole thing is less individualistic and say you're part of a bigger system or a larger story and stuff like that too. Um, and also keep your scope as, you know, at your level of the node of the collective, you know, that's, that's, I like that. Right. 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 Being the most that you can be instead of spending your whole life trying to be more than a human can be. I mean, that seems to be part of it. Was it, was there anything when you were writing the book that, you kind of discovered uh, even about yourself like was there anything that you're, like an enlightened moment or uh, shed some light on you personally when you were writing this oh totally i mean my experience of writing books is kind of weird because i i come up with these ideas and then i 
it sort of turns out I have to go through the transformation that I'm writing about before I can actually write it. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this book. I mean, I, sorry, I, I saw the book proposal for this book uh, before our son was born. I saw I, um, at a sort of, in other ways as well, at a sort of slightly earlier stage of my development. And then you sort of, you come up with a, a way of thinking that makes sense and you read all these people and you talk to all these people and you sort of, I'm someone who, for whom the sort of the intellectual bit always comes first. I'm good with concepts and ideas. And then you realize in this kind of really weird way that I can't even articulate properly, that you kind of have to go through it a bit before you can write convincingly about it. So you're sort of dragging yourself um, Mm -hmm. through the, through the process. And one thing I had realized, you know, I've been writing this column for for years for the guardian about um, productivity and happiness and psychology and all this stuff. And, one of the things I realized was that that had become a kind of um, all my sort of interest in, in, in all that stuff had become a kind of avoidance strategy that I was sort of, I was constantly thinking I was just about to become in total control of my, of my life and um, get everything in working order. And then I would do all these Mm. great things. And like, that's just the whole, the same thing, right? It's like a refusal to sort of encounter finitude as it really is. So I, yeah, I had to go through it before I could write that's uh, I mean, that describes me pretty well as far as the, um, you know, I can't, I just cannot avoid the. I've been trying to get a grip on it. The this grandiosity of thinking, like if I can really get all this to work right, this is just going to be crazy. I mean, this is going to be so big. It's going to be epic. I'm going to be able to really do something if I could just something. That's yeah. what it really feels like. Um, and I've been trying to get a, to a grip on that. And part of it is just that. That is motive. That is just to believe that there's something possible is motive. It's just a way to motivate. But I can let go if that's not. I mean, I don't need it to be epic or whatever and stuff like that. But I am trying to to do things and stuff like that. Um, and to that that's so that's a really good you know insight and just to let go of part of that, but um, not get hung up on on the on that too much but uh is there stuff though that you think that you do recommend people do that's very much in the in the practice or discipline way that is healthy and productive yeah i mean a lot of a lot of things follow in this but you know we've been talking about the kind of like the thesis of the book but like a lot of um things follow from you know uh there's a whole argument in there about why you should sort of you should be biased towards burning your bridges instead of keeping your options open uh, when it comes to sort of career choices and things, uh, making commitments uh, that feel scary in the moment. On a much more practical level, you know, stuff like um, ways to sort of uh, do one thing at a time. There's a, there's a whole little chunk in there about this idea of limiting your work in progress, which I which I got partly from the uh, work of a guy called Jim Benson on them. Um, this approach to work management that he calls personal Kanban based on the Kanban approach that will be familiar to people with software development and stuff. And that's just, there's a whole way of operationalizing it. But the basic idea is just that you say to yourself, I'm only going to allow like three things that I'm working on at the moment onto my plate at once. And I'm not going to put and bring a new one on until one of them has been done and moved off. Right. So you sort of, you 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 avoid the temptation to kind of multitask and have like your finger in 50 pies at once which is great for feeling like you're not limited by your finitude right because it's like hey i'm wheeling and dealing i've got i've got i'm I'm touching 25 projects in the course of the day but it doesn't actually get you the stuff done 
and and to sort of there's something the sort of limit embracing finitude embracing alternative there is to is to just do something like this right to say i'm going to have a to-do list with three items on it and i'm not going to put a fourth item on until one of those three has 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 moved off it, it's a real confrontation with the fact that your time is limited the fact mm-hmm. that you can only really focus on uh, one thing at a time and it sort of gets you away from from that the, from that urge to um mm-hmm. yeah do do a million things uh and get nowhere with any of them but oh gosh this hurts so much to think about right. how much time i've that, spent only because i've been through it too right and exactly yeah. what you're and exactly that reaction and this is something that comes through i think in lots of the stuff i've ended up writing about it's like it's really uncomfortable but it's a kind of discomfort you can totally tolerate like Absolutely. you you once you do it and once you sort of you know release the bit of writing that you're not sure it's ready yet or the song that you're not sure it's ready yet or you you make the action or you call the person to ask about some work thing even though you haven't done you don't you're not totally confident that it's all but once you start doing it you're just like oh wait i was worried about that that's that's fine you know Mm -hmm. the stakes are not that high i'm a uh, student of david allen and getting things done and use that methodology um and it really has some powerful stuff for that and there's a someday maybe list so Mm -hmm. i gotta write down i write down everything and the stuff i've had to move that someday maybe list it's like oh I could say someday maybe I'll do that, and then I go back six months later and look at that list. I'm like, oh please! I was that. <laughs> but it gave me opportunity to let go of an idea or thought or something, you know, and just realize, nope, I can only do this. I can only do this. so that that process of doing less is really kind of the uh, the approach. I think right because you are. It's it's not that you're you're already only going to do a few things with every day. It's a question of are you going to consciously decide which ones yeah. they are, or are you right. just going to like pretend you're going to get 200 done and then feel feel um like a failure at the end of the day yeah that's what I was, i'm about three chapters in and the thing that i'm already enjoying about it is it gives you it, i think actually your book it, what's nice about it is i'm terrible with my time i'm just a procrastinator i'm a, a creator and I, I i can only get it's like i can't just sit down and make myself write a song it has to be like the right time or something and then i then i'm just man, I can just do whatever at that moment, but it, I have to get there somehow. And sometimes that does just look like me sitting around or not doing anything. And I feel so guilty about it. You know, I, I have so much not guilt. Too, but yeah. and, and, and I'm like, man, yeah. but I, I would do it if I could right now. I, I would, I would like to get it done. I'd love to get the lyrics of this song done right now. But if I do it right now, I don't know, but I am also, like you said, I'm trying to push myself like with, with our latest record, I'm trying to push myself a little bit. Let me write this down and just do it. And then, be a little bit free from it. And then if I need to correct it later or whatever, but one of the things, uh, or maybe it's a couple of things here. One of the things you're saying is like the, the, like with the efficiency trap or productivity or success, we've all been caught in that, uh, cycle of if we don't if we're not using those wisely or succeeding mm-hmm. then we are you know failing we're 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 losing the battle now we're we're behind and then that causes what i think the, the, one of the reasons why i think your book is really important why i'm glad you're here it really does seem like time is one of the biggest causes of uh issues with mental health to me just just like you know what i mean like it just feels like that really is attacking people a lot because they don't feel like they've done enough with their life or why can't they do more or you know why can't i care about this or do this or why haven't i found love i'm already 30 years old i'm already 40 and i I, you know and it's all about the time not about anything else there really right right no i think that's yeah i think that's really true and and you know the thing you're saying about creative work there just really reminds me there's um there's that famous quote that I used to always really love quoting. And I think I still do kind of like from Chuck Close, the artist, which was um, 
that um, uh, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest, of, the rest of us just show up and get to work. This whole ethos of like, mm-hmm. don't worry about like being in the right mind state. Just do the work, treat it as work. And you know, there's lots to be said for that. But you can also turn that into the most kind of like self-punishing yeah. nightmare, where it's like you're being like. There's a writer who, who's and a meditation teacher who's working really like called Susan Piver, who wrote a blog post off the back of that with a headline that was something like getting things done by not being mean to yourself. And it was, uh, it was just a really kind of insightful moment of like, hang on, there is no point in any of this. If all you do is spend your whole life, like making yourself feel bad because you should have been doing more like that. That doesn't, that doesn't serve anybody in the end. Yeah, so um, sometimes it's worth asking what, what would it be? pleasurable to do uh, right now you're right and just the realization of even if you are like like with the efficiency trap where even the more efficient you are you're still just more that's on the way like you said the infinite ladder or whatever it's not that mm-hmm. oh now i'm so efficient that i have all this time to you know watch netflix that that's not true right. that's a lie you've been told if you're more efficient like you right. like you said in the book your boss is smart and will go well i'm going to give more work to the efficient person yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly the, i don't know who said this quote but it's like the the pun the the reward for good time management is more work, right? right. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. the, that, that's true if you if you if you treat time management as a question of efficiency. Yeah. Well, uh, Oliver, we really appreciate you being here and giving us your time. Uh, so, tell people where they can find you, where they can find the book, and any any information you want to tell us about it. Yeah, the book is um, four thousand weeks time management for mortals. It's uh, it's out in. August. Uh, before that, I hugely welcome pre-orders. And after that, I hugely welcome purchases from all the usual places. Um, my website is oliverberkman.com, uh, B-U-R-K-E-M-A-N. And that's also where you can sign up for my email newsletter that we talked about, which I call The Imperfectionist, which is um, a little dose of writing every every couple of weeks. Um, so those are the two main things uh, I really appreciate. Uh, orders of the book and sign up to the mailing list. Awesome. awesome. Well, I appreciate well, I've been really yeah. enjoyed connecting here. This has been great. Yeah, this has been awesome. I, um, I love what pleasure. I've read Thank so you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, great, great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, good luck on the book. Thank you. All right. We're good, Oliver. But this will be out probably Wednesday. So. Okay. Awesome. Well, if, do you want to, can you drop me an email so I can tweet about it? Or sure. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah okay, that'd be great. Definitely. Okay. So, cool. And like I said, seriously, I really have been enjoying this book. I love your writing. I mean, it's just, it just, it's so clear and interesting. And the way you're, the way you write is just phenomenal. So we really appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been fun. Awesome. Have a good See one. See ya. All right. Bye guys. Bye. All right. Oliver, I'm telling you that the book is good. I, I'm, I mean, I'm really glad I got an early copy of it and I'm like three chapters in and I'm just really enjoying it. And you know that I don't read nonfiction hardly. <laughs> I, know, I know. And I mean, Jess and I talked about it. I think you and I talked about it before, but just they call it nonfiction is the worst title of anything it's, it's the stupidest thing in the world. Like, fiction, nonfiction. We were sitting on the titles. beach on vacation talking about nonfiction, but and we're like, nonfiction means it's, it's, true or real right like, I was like yeah i mean we both know but it's this backwards thing nine <laughs> nine seems like permanent it be insecurity in, the, in your usage of it yes right right 100 yeah. percent. and i'm just like man this is you know dumb. it's got kind of like push and pull are two words that mean opposite things but they both start with p u and they're four letters right it's kind of stupid yeah 
You know, that's so easy to confuse. It's totally, you know? yeah, it's ridiculous. So, but the book, the book is great. Highly recommend it. Y'all go pre-order it now because it's, it is worth your time. <laughs> like, like that sales pitch there. You got anything yeah, no, else going I, on? I like it. No, I just like it. They, uh, I like the approach, you know, his approach is great. That conversation was nice. I was, oh, no. uh, I very much was enjoyed the conversation and felt that that we were well engaged with him and i always like interviews like that so i think that's consistent with his you know the tone of his all of his work is obviously more of a mindful one i felt that come through and in the conversation it's just i i tell you every time we have a british person on here i'm just blown away i just love every time we have a canadian person i'm blown away i'm telling you it just feels like more and more that the rest of the world is better I, we have great American guests too, and I love America. I get it, but it's just like I wasn't—I wasn't given much of the rest of the world. I, I, you know, what was it? My geography class in tenth grade or something, where you know they told me the export and import of some country, or you yeah. know what I mean? Like we—that's what used to be taught about other countries. Their biggest export is, you know, coffee beans or something. You're like, oh, cool, <laughs> but it tells you nothing much. You know what I mean? Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't internet back then. So I learning more and more about, I mean, probably being in our band and touring the world to some extent really opened no my No more eyes. American guests. Got it. Yeah, we're done with American guests. 